Hey everybody, this is Fran Forshella and welcome to World of Basketball. We have a bonus episode for you this week because it hits home. Uh, it um, It's newsworthy and I couldn't resist making trying to make sure that we got Mo Creek uh, on this podcast. Some of you remember the name, was an outstanding player at Indiana, uh, oft injured seriously but finished a strong career at GW back in his hometown. And he has been a professional basketball player in Europe since he graduated from GW. A lot of you who follow TBT uh, know about his success with sideline cancer. And that's where I really got to know him. He's a tremendous young man. And the story that we're about to bring you today is uh, poignant. It hits home. First of all, he was playing professionally in the Ukraine the last two months and he was stuck. Uh, in Ukraine when the war broke out. He's going to bring you an incredible story of his journey uh, out of the country and back to the United States. And uh, we'll cover uh, a lot of that. We'll, we'll talk a little basketball, TBT and whatnot. But we just thought that we needed to try to get a hold of him. He was kind enough to join us. Um, so thrilled to be home with family and friends. And uh, with what's going on in the news on a daily basis, we could not uh, could not pass up the opportunity to get him on our World of Basketball podcast. I hope you'll enjoy it. It runs about 30 minutes or so, a little less. So this is not a longer episode and uh, still think uh, as a bonus episode, you'll love it. This week on Wednesday, we will drop our March Madness World of Basketball podcast where we have uh, cuts from many of the young people we've had on the broadcast this year um, that will be in the tournament and play prominent roles. Guys like Oscar Shebway from Kentucky and Jer Jeremy Sohan from Baylor, Christian Coloco from Arizona, and uh, uh, Zach Eady from Purdue as well, but a bunch of others. It's basically a way to go back into the archives over the last few months and bring you the young people we've had on the podcast that are going to competing in the NCAA tournament. And you will get a taste of how they feel about playing for their respective schools. The journeys across the water in some cases, in Zach Eady's case, uh, from Toronto down to Purdue. And we think you'll really enjoy that. And we're going to bring you that on Wednesday. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your uh, podcast content, uh, Spotify, Apple, uh, make sure you download it and you can go back and listen to any of the many, nearly 80 podcasts that we've presented to you and uh, make sure you rate it as well and, and uh, give us a good rating so we can continue to show the bosses at Sirius that uh, we're bringing great content. Uh, so without further ado, a great, poignant, interesting conversation with Mo Creek, former college star, professional player in Europe, who has recently escaped from the war zone in Ukraine. It's great to see your face. It's great to see you smiling. And it's great to see you back home. I'm glad to be back home. Um, <laughs> just to be with my family and friends again and um, be out of a situation like that. Uh, yeah. I can't thank God enough. Yeah. You you know with social media how many people, I, I know you could tell there were, with social media being the way it is, how many people were praying for you, right? Yeah, I uh, never thought I would get this much support. Um, you know, you got your Indiana fans, you have your W fans, you have, 
you know, sideline cancer fans, but I feel like the whole world is with me. And, you know, that, that means a lot when you have everybody showing you that much love and support. And um, I felt it every day. And that was a part of the reason why I got out, you know, is, you know, I've had my days where I just felt like today might be the day, you know, and um, without the people always keeping my head held high and the support that I was uh, getting from them, all the love and the prayers and stuff like that, that means a lot. And I've always been a grateful guy. And one thing about me is I never take anything for granted. Um, I've always been through obstacles, but without the people, without the support and the love that you get from people, you can't, you can't ever do anything but alone. Yeah. Now you, you're a guy, uh, we'll get into some of your background because, uh, you've been through a lot of obstacles, uh, going back to your days at Indiana where you were a great player and had some severe injuries and we'll touch on that, but you are, you are what we call a professional basketball player. You are a high level college player. You've played around the world, places like, you know, Denmark, Germany, Finland, you kind of got to see the world a little bit. Your passport's probably stamped up pretty good, right? (laughs) Yes, sir. Now you're, you know, how do you say the team you played on? Mikolaev? Yes. Mikolaev. Okay. It wasn't your first time in Ukraine. And I, and I read where you love the country. Tell me about your experience. Forget the war. We'll get into that. Tell me about your experience in Ukraine and why you felt the way you did about the people. Uh, because not a lot of people in DC or, or around America know even where you, Ukraine was until three weeks ago. Yeah, um, I've been, uh, this would have been my third team in Ukraine. So I was at Kiev Basket, so I was in Kiev. Um, I was uh, playing with SC Promete, so that was in Kaminsky. And now this team, man, each each city has its unique way, but I always loved it either way, you know, all three spots. You know what I mean? It's just the people there. It's the, they, they, never, uh, they never showed me no disrespect. You know what I mean? Just me being a black man, you know, you hear about the horror stories that, you know, you go overseas and you find out that, you know, people don't like you for the color of your skin. But with with, uh, with Ukraine, it's never been nothing like that. It's always been love. Even if they couldn't speak the, uh, my language and I could, I definitely can't speak theirs. But uh, we, we found a way to communicate with each other. And that just made it so special. Yeah. And and uh, I was watching on the news. I mean, there's a lot of people from around the world. there, like student exchange students, kids from Africa, kids from uh, uh, Asia. So I, I'm sure it's not a melting pot, but it, it seems that they they did embrace you wherever you were. Yes. I mean, it just again, like I can't thank uh, Ukraine enough for for what they have shown um, the people of Ukraine. This is why I picked Ukraine. You know, I, I knew what I was getting. I knew I was getting good basketball, and I knew I was not getting no nonsense. And, you know, the people were always going to be good in Ukraine. And so I felt like I could go anywhere. I didn't feel like I had to stay in the house or anything like that just because of who I am or anything like that. They showed me love, and I showed it back. In the weeks leading up to what eventually happened with the Russians, you know, bombing the country, basically, what were the people in your city doing or talking about? Did you did you hear anything? Were, were your Ukrainian teammates telling you stuff? How, what was the vibe in the city before everything broke loose? 
Well, I had got there late. So I had got there in January, um, January. So I was only there for a month and a half. But um, when I got there, nothing was really being said about the war. I mean, of course, you see it mass media, you see it uh, in America and stuff like that. But um, the Ukrainians just felt like nothing was going to happen. We all actually, had me, me too, I didn't feel like anything was going to happen. And me playing in the Ukraine for three years, we always had um, speculations that something was going to happen, you know, something, but nothing ever happened. So at first we did not feel like the war was going to happen. So that's how everybody took it. Now, when it kind of got, the media started blasting it so much, now it yeah. gets stuck in your head. Like, you know what, something may happen. And, um, you know, we had me and uh, the, um, our Americans on the team had multiple meetings about this. And the Ukrainians, of course, um, the, my teammates weren't there, but the, the, the management was there. And they still took it as if, you know, nothing was gonna happen. I mean, it even got down to a point where the president was in Odessa which is a hot zone right now. And he was kind of showing us that nothing was really going on, but that was two weeks prior to the war. And we were just saying like, you know, we, we want to be out of here before the war even started because we want to be more safe than sorry. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. D DJ Kennedy said the same thing. They took his team, uh, Promotai, they took them to Czech Republic a week or two before everything yeah. hit. Where were you? Where were you when it started to, you know, affect your city? Like, what, did they start to bomb your city? Well, they didn't ever bomb my city when I was there. Um, got close. So I'm close to Odessa. And what happened in Odessa was that the, they had bombed the, the air, the, um, the airport because they, they figured out that they was, uh, I guess they had military stuff there and they wanted to get out the way. So they bombed there. That's only an hour, 30 minutes away from, from my area. So they was doing all the bombings over there. You could hear that. Like I was on a I was on a phone with my mom one night, and we heard a bomb. And we I really thought somebody up under me, like the floor below me, had dropped something big. But it was actually the the sound of a bomb going off. And um, you know, we were just terrified. And that's when then when we heard that the siren went off. And you know, when the siren go off, that means it's a war that started. Um. Now, Coach um, Terry, you know, I'd known him from Kiev, and he was the reason why I actually came to Mikolai. He had picked me up uh, to go to his apartment building, which has a bomb shelter in it. And that's when I started the bomb shelter uh, experience. Wow. So how long were you in the bomb shelter? Well, I, it wasn't like I was in there for days. I was in there for maybe a couple of hours here, maybe five hours there. Might be six. It has gotten to the point where it's been six hours. And, uh, you know, you, you really learn a lot about yourself when you go in a type of situation like that, because one, I did not know if I was going to survive. So the first thing I did was I, before I got in the bond shelter, I text my mother, you know, I love you. Tell my family I love you. because if something do happen, that's the worst thing that could pop, possibly happen to you is that you do not, you know, you don't want to not say nothing, you know, at least they have a memory of your last message to them before you pass. But, um, to go down there with people that you don't know. I only knew uh, Coach Terry's wife and his mother and, and, the, and the two dogs that he had. <laughs> that's, the, that's, the, um, that's the only people that I knew uh, down there. And um, to 
have to meet new people and gather up like a family so we can all be safe and protected uh, really meant a lot. They didn't know my language. I didn't know theirs, but we felt like family. How at this time were you, did you have, did you have your agent try to get you out of there? How did, how were you trying to uh, expedite yourself from a situation? Well, weeks prior, I've been trying to get out weeks prior. Um, I know my agent to, Hey, listen, it's time. It's time. And he had found me a job in Qatar and um, I was trying to get there and then I had to get a rapid COVID test because you can't leave without having a test. So I was waiting for that. Um, the team was not trying to let me go. So they were basically holding, um, holding out on giving me my LOC. And if you don't have your LOC document, it don't matter where you go, you can't play. What's an LOC now? Tell people who are a letter of clearance. Got it. So you're cleared from your contract with your club in Ukraine and go anywhere else. Right. Got it. Got it. So, yeah, so and then you got to think about it. Uh, I never had a, a buyout uh, in my contract, but then when I terminated the contract, uh, they wanted to keep the uh, the money that I was up, owed up to the the days prior to my contract. I mean, to the to the month that I was in, and. That was a lot because at the time, me and my family were talking amongst each other and trying to figure out ways to get me out. And that was the big piece of the puzzle of getting me out. You know, I don't really want to I'm not the guy to go around and ask people for things, you know, what I'm saying other than their prayers and their support. But for my family, I know that I can ask them for almost anything and they'll they'll find a way to try to get it to me. But this time. You know, because my my mom and my dad, you know, they they're not working right now. And my mom is disabled. So I'm the third biggest piece to the puzzle when it comes to the household. I always, you know, what I'm saying, send the money home to try to make sure that the house stays in, up, uh, up in a float. And exactly. um, it's just for us that that kind of hampered me, you know, what I mean, of, of getting out and trying to figure out a way to do what I need to do. All right. So now we I. I'm a junkie, so I've watched you since you got to Indiana. You're a great high school player in D.C., but I really got to know you during TBT. And sideline cancer is maybe how the good Lord works kind of plays a part in your getting out, right? Because you you met a guy during a sideline and sideline cancer. If you're listening, they when we do TBT in the summer, you guys are just so much fun. I mean, you guys. uh it's just you guys are a great group of guys. But you were at a, the way I understand it, there was a guy at a sideline cancer event, Eric Nordberg, who was a big shot military guy. I think former special forces, maybe uh, something Greenberg. like that. Yeah, right. Greenberg. And tell me how he helped you extricate yourself from this craziness. I love that man to death. And, um, <laughs> honestly, he's he's one of the the bravest, biggest hearts that I know. Um, well, how'd you meet him? Tell us how you met him first. Well, I'm well, Charlie, you know, Charlie Park is my coach for sideline cancer. He he knew him and he told him, Hey, one of my players is over there. We need to get him out. I don't I don't care by any means necessary. We got to get him out. So um Eric Norberg, he he assembled a team that I I met a couple of the uh the people when I got had got to Romania. Um yeah. That, that was helping get me out, but 
he was like, man, I'm gonna get you out. I'm gonna get you out by any means necessary. I'm gonna get you out. And the day uh, Russia and um, Ukraine try to have the peace treaty, the meeting, that was the day that he had multiple options for me to get out. And he had multiple options before that, but somehow, some way, they just started to fall through. So that that goes to show, like, again, the people were, were, were the people, I mean, they kept me high. You know, they kept me high on faith and, um, and in spirit because at that time when everything was starting to fail, things were starting to fail. This plan here, that plan there. Right. And now let me ask you, was, was he talking to you on the phone? Was he calling you? Were you guys communicating? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I always communicated um, yeah. every day, every day. Right. We, uh, so he, was, he was scheming. He was trying figuring out game plans. Yes. Yes. Trying to figure out where I was at, the pinpoint of where I was at. I had to always drop my pinpoint to him. Um, he had uh, multiple ways of, of, of kind of visualizing what route I had to take and everything. So he was definitely doing his job on um, getting me out. All right, so there was one time when I retweet when I tweeted at you, it sounded like you were going home, but then it fell it fell apart because the next thing I knew you were still there. So, what was that like in your mind? What I mean, were you were you communicating with home? Yeah, I, I thought I was uh, definitely on my way home, so I had communicated with my family. Like, hey, listen, we got a plan. I'm heading to the airport. Um, you know, today is the day, and what ended up happening was I'm thinking we're doing stuff in the morning because in the morning is usually when it's most calm, uh, as far as the, I mean, as far as the war, but they waited, they waited until the afternoon to get stuff started. And this was, uh, my, the, the management, the team management, not, not Eric Norbert. They was up all night trying to figure out, but the team management. So what was supposed to happen was the vice president was supposed to drive his car and take me to the, the Moldavian border. And he left in the afternoon around maybe one o'clock to by two o'clock. I was going to be on the road getting out, you know, doing what I need to do. The siren came on. And when the siren came on, that's how that plan derailed, because now he has to go back home. I have to go back up to my apartment and we all have to be safe. Nobody can be on the roads no more because when the siren comes on, I mean, something had just happened. Um, you know, saying to a point where nobody can move. So I was just sad. I was at that point. I was terrified. I wasn't gonna get home. I was sad because I was I was so amped up to get home, and now it, it fell down. It was but but again, the people always kept me in faith. Yeah. How did you now? How did you finally get to the border? Okay, so that was the day the, the peace treaty went uh, went about and. Um, the four options went, uh, were kind of going into play, but it was a fifth yeah. option nobody really knows about. I mean, well, people know about it now, but we didn't know it was going to happen. So my um, assistant coach, who was uh, uh, generally the head coach when I got there, um, his sister and his wife had got a cab, and that was their personal driver, and they had an extra seat in that car, and so I got in that car. And wow. got out. Wow. And you got to your wet, wet border. It wasn't Romania. It was the other country. Moldova. Got it. Moldova. I'm sorry, Moldova. Moldova. Yeah. And so when you get there, how do you then get yourself ready to get on a plane and get to Dulles? 
Where do you go? So, so the the Moldova uh, piece of it was kind of crazy as well because, <laughs> um, you know, as we're driving through Odessa to get to Moldova, uh, you could just see everything that had happened in Odessa. The war was really in Odessa. So you had to go through six checkpoints. You had to go through, uh, you had to see the soldiers with guns. You had to see the tanks, see everybody going the same direction as you. So now it's traffic. So I was scared to death about that because something may have happened. You know, I didn't want the car to stop moving because I felt like if the car stops, we're stopping our progress. That gives them the opportunity to do whatever they need to do. And when I got to the Moldavian border, they kind of took a route. I mean, they kind of took the left route, which means they were dropping me off. But you could just see the car, the car uh, miles was basically the last car that I seen was basically maybe 15 miles away from the border. That's how long it was for everybody to get out. And for me, I'm thinking, OK, I get out the car. I take my bags. I go with my backpack on. That's my PlayStation. Yep. <laughs> but yep. uh, <laughs> I got to keep that. But um, but it was thousands of people out, out by the border. And I'm like, OK, maybe it may take like a few hours, but it should not take long because, you know, they know everybody's trying to get out of Ukraine and trying to get on in the border and to the Moldavian border, because as if we're still stuck right here, we're still part of Ukraine. We're not, we're not, we're not a part of Ukraine no more until we get out of Ukraine. So um, I'm like, all right, the, the line's not moving. It's been an hour. The line has not moved. Then the line will move a little bit and it'll be another hour. Then the line will move a little bit faster, but then it'll be another hour when it stops. I'm like, wow. And it's starting now. It's starting to get cold. Now it's starting to get windy. And yes, they have food, they have water and they had drinks out there and, everything that, you know, you may need for, you know, hospitality, but in the bathroom out there and everything like that. But it took me nine hours to get through that, the, the gates of uh, the Moldavian border. And even after I got throughout the gates, um, I still had to stand in line, show my passport to the, uh, to the people. They had took my passport and had to go to the, uh, the, the border official to make sure everything was good with my passport because they were sending people back as if they were refugees. And so I, I was just praying, like, I hope they don't see nothing wrong with my passport or I don't think it's a fake or none of that. So I can go ahead and get through here as soon as possible and get on my merry way uh, to the Romanian border. Got it. So you come, you probably, what, you fly out of Bucharest? Yes. Bucharest to where? Dulles or did you have to stop somewhere? I had to stop. So um, it was from Bucharest to uh, Amsterdam. Okay. Then it was Amsterdam to JFK and JFK home. All right. Now, when you hit JFK, man, before you see family, but when you know you're in American soil, what'd that feel like? It felt great. Um, it felt great for me because I, I kind of had the glimpse like I don't really have to worry about anything anymore. I mean, of course, everything happens everywhere, but it's just the fact that I wasn't in Ukraine. And even when I was in Romania, I felt a sigh of relief. Like, I don't really have to worry about that anymore. Like, um, the war is not over here. It's over there. And I got on that U.S. soil. I, I felt like a weight dropped off my shoulders. You know, we, we, we don't have a perfect country, right? We, you know, this is just my two cents here. 
we don't have a perfect country. We have our own issues, you know, all the stuff we went through the last couple of summers with COVID, George Floyd. But there is something nice about being an American to me. For sure. You know, you know and uh, all right. So now you uh, you go to Dulles. Who's waiting for you? <laughs> I didn't know my mom was the first one. She and I, the crazy thing about that was um, I had the first seat on that plane as if they knew I was definitely the first one needed to be the first one to get out. Um, but when I turned that corner and I seen the, my mom, I knew it was my mom from afar, but when I, when I walked through them doors, she, she, she can't move too, too much fast, but she, she got to me pretty quick. And I, I, um, that, that hug was, was everything. I, when that, that's when I knew I was home and, uh, when I, when I heard her cry, um, I knew that was that was the that was that happy cry. Like my son is home, and I I had that big hug from my mom and my pop, and I, I knew I was I was good. I was home free. All right, yeah, you sideline cancer family. I, are you? Am I going to see you this summer? Are you going to be playing some ball, or what's the plan right now? The plan is uh, <laughs> basketball. I, I I can't get away from basketball just yet. I can't, you know, I can't get away from uh, from not playing the game that I love. You know, I feel like I got a few years left with this. Yeah, that's great. Hey, you know what? Let me ask you about you. You know, you battled some amazing injuries in in, in college, and obviously, you ended up with a great career at GW. Did any of the adversity you handle as a young person and a young player, did any of that help you? I mean, I know this was a life and death situation in Ukraine, but it wasn't the first time you've experienced like uh, a hard times. Yeah. Um, I always felt like I could get through any obstacle. Um, a lot that a lot of people can't get through. And, but again, um, the reason why I get through these obstacles is because it's not just me. It's the, the people around me, you know, the people that I do know, the people that I don't know. Uh, they've always been supportive of me and understand who I am as a person. They know I never take anything for granted. I always take everything in a positive note. I always show my support where I can. I always try to get back to everybody and just say at least thank you. You know what I mean? Even if it's a thousand messages coming through my phone, I, I try to say thank you to them a thousand people just because I want to show that without you, yeah. I could not be standing here today. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, are you planning on playing professionally? Like, are you going back? You're going to continue to play your professional career? Well, this year, I just want to take my time. Right. Um, yeah. I'm thinking in the future, not, uh, I know future, right now. In the future. Oh, of yeah. course I want to, I want to play. I really want to play in the States. I want to, you know, at least get the opportunity to try to play here in the States. And, uh, but if I have to, um, go across the waters, that's something that me and my family are going to have to talk about, but I definitely want to get another few years in. Got it. And you in good shape. You're in pretty good shape uh, right now. Oh yeah. I, you know, I got to stay in the gym and, <laughs> uh, and do whatever I need to do just in case I get a call. How's that jumper? Sweet. Uh, you know, my arms ain't broke now. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> you, you, they were playing with your mind a little bit, not with the jump shot, right? Nah, I don't good. think my jump shot will go anywhere just yet. <laughs> That's good, man. Well, listen, uh, we can't thank you enough, man. We're so glad you're home. So many people were praying for you. Uh, like you said, your Indiana family, your, your, your GW family, your, you know, sideline cancer family. And, uh, 
I hope I see you this summer. I hope I see you TBT. And it, I think it would be fitting that it's time that uh, sideline cancer wins that million dollars. Trying yeah. to get to it every day, every day. Every day, every day, thinking of ways to get to it. <laughs> I love it, man. All right, well, you enjoy home. You, I saw your mom pop on the Zoom there. You give her a hug for us and just know that, uh, you know, a lot of people were praying for you. Your, your prayers were answered. And I uh, can't wait to see you uh, at TBT this summer, Mo. Thank you. I don't know about you, but I had tears in my eyes throughout that conversation with Mo Creek. Uh, if you could have seen him on the Zoom the joy he and his mom and his family have with him being home. I just can't tell you how much, how much it, uh, how good it felt to see him and hear his voice. And, uh, and we, uh, we wish Mo uh, all the best. I hope to see him this summer with TBT and sideline cancer, but uh, uh, thanks to Mo Creek for sharing that story. Remember Wednesday, we're bringing you the March madness edition of uh, world of basketball. We'll bring many clips from uh, many of the great people that we've interviewed this year that, the young people from around the world that are playing in the NCAA tournament. So no matter where I am next week during the NCAA tournament, you can bet that I'll still bring you to another place in my world of basketball. World of Basketball is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Chris Tyler. Sound designed by Robert Moore. A special thanks to Sirius XM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. Sirius XM Podcasts.